Hey there, beautiful souls. Welcome to Beyond the Surface, where the saying to be seen is to be understood comes to life. I want to begin by first honouring the traditional custodians of the land we live and work on. I live and work on Gundungurra land and acknowledge the traditional landowners of my guests near and far. I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging for they hold the memories, the traditions and cultures of our First Nations peoples. The land below my feet is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. I am no stranger to the profound journey of pain, grief, anger and heartbreak that often accompanies the loss of church, community, faith and the unwinding of our core beliefs. In the midst of this labyrinth, I found healing in the stories shared by others who have walked a similar path. Each tale, unique in its own right, weaves an invisible thread of connection, uniting us through the tapestry of religious trauma and healing. Here, in the warmth of these digital walls, I want you to feel at home. This is a haven where your memories are not just acknowledged, but deeply seen and believed. So kick back, relax, and let's embark on a journey where your story is not just heard, but embraced. Welcome to a community where storytelling is a powerful force. This is Beyond the Surface. Welcome, Will. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I've been loving having these chats with people about their story. It's, I mean, I do it for a living. I get to hear people's stories, but it's a little bit nice to sort of kick back and not have too much pressure to have the therapist hat on all the time. So um, it's nice to, um, to sort of relax into it a little bit. Um, Where does your story start? Where would you start your story at? Because everybody sort of starts it at a different point. It doesn't have to be chronologically. Mm. It's an interesting question. I, I um, would normally say, I guess, that my story starts being uh, born in Canberra. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the fifth out of six kids. My my yeah. parents, um, you know, what were they thinking? But I've been thinking quite a bit about and through some of the people I've interviewed on on spiritual misfits, um, you know, this idea that actually our story goes goes further back than that. Yeah. And that our birth, our entry into the world is actually just a continuation of mm-hmm. a story. So I won't I won't like full on bore you with the details of that, <laughs> just to say that I'm aware that I start in Canberra, um, you know, in nineteen ninety. Yep. Um in Canberra Hospital, my parents mm-hmm. were both kind of born on farms and moved to Canberra for uni and met each other. Yep. But I guess the things that are important about the early years of of my story um, are that very kind of evangelical Christian household. Yep. Uh, both of my parents, when they met at uni, they're heavily involved with um, student life. Um, if people know that kind of movement, but um, they they actually interestingly both grew up with kind of um very uh i guess just what would you call it kind of respectable country faith 
the yep. family went to church because that's what you did. Mm-hmm. When they were kind of in uni, they kind of had their like becoming kind of on fire for God in that okay. sort of language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then definitely that would have uh, had a big impact on the trajectory of mm-hmm. their, their parenting and, um, you know, I guess part of that story as well without sharing other people's stories that are theirs to share. But in my family, we would all have a very different, me and my five siblings would all have a very different way of interpreting mm-hmm. our childhood and Christianity and the church and yeah. uh, where we sit with that these days. We're kind of yeah. all over the map. So. Yeah, I guess that's a starting point. Differing perspectives. Same same upbringing, differing perspectives. That's what I tend to say. You might have all lived in the same household, but it, you're all looking through different lenses. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you see it in the in your family home? How did you see that Christian upbringing in your family home growing up? I was right into it and was right into it. I guess, um, for, for a long time. Um, mm. I, I think as a, I was the kid in many ways who like all of the systems, um, just, they suited me well, the education system, it doesn't suit everyone. Well, it mm. suited me very well. Okay. Um, I was kind of a straight A student and I probably had that sort of attitude in terms of my straight A spirituality, my straight yeah. A Christianity. I remember even as like a kid in primary school, like taking some pleasure in like telling other kids that, you know, Satan's not, um, Santa's not real. So the Satan, Santa, you know, mix up. Um, but like, you know, Christmas is about, is about Jesus. It's not about Santa. Like I was a Grinch. Um, I think obviously there were positive aspects. I mean, for me, church felt like a really safe place. Mm-hmm. Um, a little anecdote from my childhood is that, again, because of the vast number of children that my parents had, um, there was one morning where they they drove home. They got in the station wagon, drove home, and realized that they'd left me at church. And I like look back at that and actually feel like, in my mind at the time, it was a bit of like Jesus being left at the temple and his parent, you know, like I was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Like it's, it's all good. Uh, the crawl, I, I mean, I just love the aspect of that story that they were in a station wagon. I just, it just is like so typically Australian to, to have a station wagon. Um, yep. I love the uh the comparison between that you drew, even as a young person, to sort of draw that direct mirror yeah. comparison. Yeah. And then when I entered high school, um, so I went to a public primary school mm-hmm. and um was actually very disappointed when I went to year seven that my parents uh I basically switched into a uh, private small Christian school that again was quite evangelical in nature. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was actually really disappointed about that because all of my friends were going to uh, Canberra high school mm-hmm. and this, the small Christian school, I, I did actually feel a bit embarrassed about mm-hmm. it because it was a tiny school. No one had heard of it. So there was a little bit of uh, maybe hesitancy in me about that. But actually what happened is that at that school, again, kind of poster child, of the places where I, where I was, I ended up just becoming, um, very much a young, 
MSN evangelist, you know, when I was in year seven, that was the time when MSN was a big deal. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be doing the Lord's work, uh, oh trying goodness. to convince people. And again, like uh, most people were nominally Christian at, yeah. at the school. Most people, their families went to church. Like there was, mm. a, it was actually, um, compared to some religious schools, it genuinely was quite a, uh, I would say, um, because it was a small school started mm. out of a community started from a group of families that were all quite passionate about their faith. Mm-hmm. The school's culture was very Christian, not just in a tokenistic way. Um, and I still had the mindset that in my school, I'm here to kind of save the lost. Like I was, wow. I was quite um, intense, I guess mm. about, um, and I've always been a, uh, probably drawn to microphones, um, mm-hmm. perhaps for some unhealthy ego or whatever. But from my earliest days, I, I was quite happy to jump up in front of any group of people and just tell them what I cared about. And that's changed over the years in different ways. But yeah. um, even from those early years, a part of my story was whatever I saw as true and good and whatever I felt passionate about, mm-hmm. I was very happy to be very public about it. Okay. That's, uh, I mean, it's, I guess you don't get that very often from a young, from a teenager, you know, you sort of hear that that intensity that you sort of described sometimes comes, I guess, once they leave that high school environment, because there's still those, all of those stereotypical things that you experience during high school around social pressures and peer pressure and things like that. Um, to already have that sort of fierce evangelism sort of perspective um, is interesting for a young person to have quite early on. Um, it's um, I love the MSN thing. I think. Did you say you were born in 1990? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 91. So similar era. Um, so I I um. I remember when the days of social media were much simpler and it yeah. was um and MSN was um was the height of of that. So um, my first email address. This this tells a little bit about like the the portrait of me at the time. My first email address, which I had for many years, mm-hmm. probably more, more than I in hindsight would have been wise, but uh it was Jesus Freak Will at hotmail.com. Oh, wow. So that was, you know, I was, and uh, my MSN name was often, you know, a lyric from a DC talk song or. Right. Um, I was very into, and I suppose a part of um, my household and that kind of origin space as well is that my parents being, um, and like my parents are the best and their faith is, is beautiful mm. and it has evolved over time and has given me, uh, had, I've had secure attachment and the safety to be able to go on my own journey of evolving mm. and changing faith and doubt and to be quite like my parents and me, there's healthy disagreement, all of that. So yeah, honour them. But there was a strong influence from, um, if people are familiar, people like James Dobson, Focus on the Family, these kind of um, very evangelical US kind of media. Um, and that was very much in the water of my household. And so the Christian music industry from the US as well. Like I definitely was, there was a, a number of formational years earlier in my life where 
the media I was watching, the music I was listening to, the magazines I was reading were mm. all kind of coming downstream from uh, that kind of US evangelicalism, which probably, and because I was a kid who loved to read and mm. would read books by, again, people may not know these names, but people like Frank Peretti and kind of a number of uh, like influential Christian fiction yeah. writers. Yeah. Um, I think I was in some ways bound to be mm. that, that, kind of your sponge when, when you're a young person. And so I was, I was quite happy to just regurgitate a lot of what I was immersed in at the time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who, who don't necessarily come from a faith background or who have never sort of been in that world don't quite understand when we sort of talk about how different the US landscape is to Australia in terms of um, Christianity and it is very different. Um, and so it it is much more influential, I find, than anything that has come out of Australia pretty much. Um, and, and it does tend to be a lot more conservative, I found. Yep. It sort of tends to... Um, you know, people will talk about far right and things like that, that, you know, lingo that we don't sort of use here in Australia. Um, but um, it it trickled through. It trickled yeah. through and it still yeah. is trickling through really. Like we, you yeah. know, it's not stopped. It just um, it just looks different. But there was an era where it was it was very big and it was and it was sort of at the height of of when it was sort of coming into Australian culture. Um, yeah. And it was probably the area where Australia was only really just getting mega churches, I guess. So they were sort of just starting to become a thing. And so whereas that was already long experienced in the US, it was it was yeah. trickling on through to us. Um, how did your... Um, your own sense of spirituality shift and change when you left school. So, um, I I went uh, from my public school, uh, from my private, like high school, Christian mm-hmm. school, which was year seven to year ten. I then went back to a public school for year eleven and year twelve. Okay. And, um, again, kind of went into that space with this mindset of okay, now I'm going back into the world. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because in that time I was, um, again, yeah, very, I, I started to get into hip hop music. And so I wanted to be like a Christian rapper and my, my kind of lyrics were about how I was like going to parties and not drinking and everyone else was, and, you know, but at the same time, um, I made such beautiful friendships and I actually really loved that school. It's actually where I met my my wife mm. um, of 11 years next month nice uh, high school sweethearts oh. um, but then I, I I sort of you know I did humanities I've always you know loved the, I guess the humanities so sort of studied English and drama and a bit of psychology and then I decided to study philosophy and and English literature at university and a part of my motivation at the time with studying philosophy, I would have said that I was partly motivated to study philosophy because I wanted to be able to um, strengthen my mm. my beliefs and just kind of have that sense that, well, if I can um, have kind of the best philosophical reasoning to defend my faith or to test my faith, and if it emerges from that, 
then it will be stronger and truer. And in some ways, I think that is that is true. Yeah. Um, while I was actually doing my undergraduate degree, <clears throat> I would say that I had more of a defensive posture mm-hmm. around, you know, being the the kid in the tutorial who was trying to defend the existence of God when that kind of was the discussion for yeah. that week or whatever. But I think it did, you know, it it did the thing that people are afraid of and it started to maybe make some of my certainty crumble a little mm. bit as I was exposed to other ideas. And the other thing that happened at that time was, again, because I was sort of right into my Christian hip hop, um, someone invited me to start um, joining them going into the youth detention center every couple of weeks on a Sunday afternoon and doing a very alternative church service for young offenders. Oh, and wow. so I was, I was keen to do that actually going in there and sitting with a number of young people whose mm-hmm. lives had started in completely different places to mine yeah, and who had, um, I guess, internalized so much negativity about mm-hmm. their possibilities in life. It really started to challenge me, particularly as I started to ask questions around if these young people actually um, they finish their little sentence in in um, juvie essentially, and they come to our largely middle class kind of you know largely white um, church. How would that go? Yeah. Um, and really feeling like that would be um, there would be there would largely probably be a sense of awkwardness, judgment. It would not necessarily be a positive experience. Mm. And so I think I started to. Um, and, you know, like, again, I've grown up on the stories of Jesus, but I start to really think, well, these do feel like the kind of people that Jesus would be very comfortable um, mm. being with, but perhaps a lot of Christians um, would be quite awkward being yeah. with, or at, at even worse, might be um, quite judgmental as as mm. most society often are. So I think that started to like form some cracks mm. um, in my faith. And again, like, studying philosophy at uni, very privileged, sitting with young guys in juvie, shatters your privilege. Both of those things were starting to change maybe my experience of spirituality as well as my kind of mental kind of um, beliefs and the cognitive process around that. Mm. And then um, when I I finished uni, um, some of this coalesced around me um, becoming a youth worker, and wanting to continue to do that kind of work, particularly with young people that were kind of on the fringes or um, were, you know, marginalized in various ways. Mm. I moved to the Central Coast where I live now. And my first day on on the Central Coast, literally I drove up in a Sunday afternoon in a borrowed car. Uh, and we didn't like had to spend the next kind of few weeks organizing where we were going to live, like sort of staying in a spare room that someone had. And my, so my first Monday morning after that Sunday afternoon, driving up in a borrowed car, I started working in a youth center in an area that was quite confronting for me as someone who had grown up in Canberra. Again, just the kind of challenges in that mm-hmm. area around, um, yeah, domestic violence and um, low school attendance and um, all kinds of kind of disadvantage that, that the young people and the broader community were facing 
youth center is right across the road from the police station, right across the road from the court. We would go across and kind of be there for children's court, go yeah. and help out with, um, yeah, young people while they're waiting in the, in the station and all of that. And I think that continued to increase some of those cracks around just like, yeah, the faith that, uh, the faith of the privileged or the mm. faith of the, of the comfortable yeah. gets challenged in those spaces. And I like this job was with the salvos and the salvos is, is like a great place for having some of those social mm. uh, kind of norms challenged salvos um, for, for all their faults, like all kind of denominations have um, in general, if you go to a salvos um, service chapel, whatever, you're probably going to be hanging out more with um, people who are aware that they are um, kind of on on the fringes or struggling um, or, you know, working through addiction programs or whatever. Um, so there was that. And then I suppose a couple of years later, the other like big thing that probably accelerated my shifting spiritualities, like two things at once. I um, started started uh, in a role as a young adults pastor at, um, at a church up here. And I started that role um, two months after becoming a dad. So our first son uh, was born. And um, then two months later, I start this role as a pastor. And I started to do Bible college at the same time. That was kind of, I got the job and it was sort of like, I'll do my kind of post-grad kind of yeah. Bible college study now. Lots um, of change. Lots of change. <laughs> and um, our introduction to parenting was was quite difficult we, we started with a week in the in the NICU um with our, our little bub really struggling and you know question marks over whether or not he would he would survive um so there's kind of a, a lot of just that just kind of rocked me um and then we kind of did come home with him and he had very severe reflux. So our first year of parenting was pretty much just a screaming child all the time and sleepless nights. And yeah. it was really difficult. And I remember um, having nights where I would be kind of holding my screaming baby who we just could not get to sleep um, and feeling really like blocked in terms of I wanted to pray like, God, would you just like stop this fucking crying? Like, you know, I'm yeah. okay with swearing. Yeah, no, go for it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I felt so distressed. Yeah. Um, but I then at the same time, I was like, but if you stop my baby from crying and you don't do anything about, you know, this person in our community with cancer or about hunger in the world or about any number of other things, mm. then I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, so the real experiential sense of um, beginning to question, you know, maybe some of those models of um, God's character um, mm. and, yeah, the kind of existential questions around what prayer actually means and what yeah. God actually does in the world. And, and then so at the same time, so that's a significant change and parenting brings up, you know, stuff from your childhood and brings up questions around, yeah, all of those kind of household of origin things. I was also kind of seeing behind the curtain of church and I don't say that in a negative way, like I actually still have a lot of um, gratitude and, um, you know, positivity towards that community. 
Um, but there's just a reality you see kind of like uh, church as business, I guess, or church yeah, as an organization. Um, mm. And the politics in any mm. community, when yeah. you see all of that stuff and you're kind of part of like working out how to manage it kind of as a, you know, yeah, it's an organization. Like any other organization, it's easy to get caught up in just the kind of continued running of the show, et cetera. And again, I'm fine with kind of, you know, the way that churches run themselves, but I started to just question some of that side of things as well and felt that maybe it was, um, didn't, didn't always feel like good alignment with, um, yeah, my sort of sense of what a faith community ought to be characterized by, um, Again, trying to be careful because I, I I don't like it's not like that's not even referring to anything that's particularly coarse yeah. or negative or anything in that sense. It's just kind of a a demystifying of you know how things look from from a different vantage point. And then sort of final thing, I guess, in this part of the story, because I realize I'm talking a lot. No, go for it. I'm loving it. Oh, cool. Well, um, while I was studying. Bible college, I kind of had this sense that I, I was beginning to be, like in philosophy, exposed to different perspectives. And I was reading, like there are different atonement theories. Yeah. The different ways that people, you know, interpret like kind of difficult questions that arise out of the Christian scriptures. Um, and I I felt like I realized that there was kind of at the academic level, multiple interpretations, multiple ways of viewing things, a more nuanced conversation. But often that didn't translate to the local church level. And in most local churches, there is kind of like a, a bit of a dumbing down yeah. of um, more sophisticated kind of theological ideas. So in some ways, the books I was reading, uh, the study I was doing was actually helping me to create room for a more expansive understanding of Christian spirituality. But I was frustrated that most of my friends who were beginning to maybe question church or leave church, um, uh, it was sort of like, guys, there's actually other ways of thinking about this. Yeah. Um, it's just that, and and I think that's partly um, to do with the internet and the spread of information. And I think, you know, historically, a lot of local pastors, they just wouldn't have known that stuff. Yeah. And they're doing the best with what they what they have. Mm. Um, but I think nowadays there's kind of uh, like there's just the cat's out of the bag. Like if people want to go and find better theology um, yeah. or a, a more robust belief system, mm. um, there's like there's a candy shop of <laughs> good uh insight out there and there's plenty of stuff out there that's very average that you, you got oh, yeah. um yeah. but yeah i was kind of kind of cognitive dissonance of yeah. the gap between spaces where it felt like there was more acknowledgement mm. of diversity of opinion and then kind of the often stereotype i guess that's got some truth in it of the local church is just here's what to believe believe it and end a conversation yeah yeah and I think there is now, I guess, largely a perspective of we have so much depth of knowledge now. We have so um, and such ease of access to such depth of knowledge that 
uh, I probably sort of sit in the camp of we're out of excuses to not do better. Like when you know better, you do better. And so I think it it sort of gets to that point where you go, well, you know what, there isn't yeah. a whole, there's no, there's no more excuses now. There is so much knowledge there is. And the, yeah, the ease of access to, to gain that knowledge sort of puts us in the, give me, give me a reasonable excuse now that we are still at times perpetuating harm where there shouldn't be harm. Um, And so I, yeah, I think one of the common threads that has come out of talking to people um, for this podcast, but also just in the stories of clients that I've worked with who have gone through a various bouts of faith shifts and changes is that it just comes out of human connection most of the time and human compassion to just see good in people and and to see good things happen to good people and for justice to rain and for oppression to be shafted and all of the like to support marginalized communities um and so you know i think you know that yeah there is the invisible thread of of traumatic instances and pain and grief and and all of that detangling but there's also that invisible thread that sort of connects every everyone who has gone through this as just someone who has deep connection to people Hmm. and often I find the most, you know, that situation where you got to go into the detention centres and things like that, Um, what an incredible privilege for starters, you know, that's incredible. Um, But often I, I find that the most privileging situations, like you said, tend to highlight our own privilege. Um, which is confronting. It's, yeah. you know, that's not an easy thing for people to tackle. And for some it's, um, it can feel too confronting and it tends to just be easier to shove it down into, you know, in a box and and pack it away. Um, yeah. And- I think there's still a movement. I think this is like an ongoing challenge for all of us, yeah. but you begin to enter spaces maybe like that. And mm-hmm. a lot of people with a lot of goodwill Mm-hmm. Um, volunteer their time, whether it's, you know, serving meals at a homeless shelter or um, engaging in kind of, you know, uh, ministry in inverted yeah. commas or whatever, like, you know, um, but there, there comes a movement like first it's like you go out, I'm going to be someone who helps these these young people in the yeah. gym because I'm awesome mm. and they're struggling. And then I think that can that like the beginning of that can actually help to um, shift some things, but but the the next like movement is just really um, no longer see those people in any of those spaces as like fundamentally different to you, or as in need of anything that you have to give. Yeah, uh, and to actually just you know you can still see of course like 
uh, we need to advocate for uh, yeah for justice and we need to advocate to do away with every system that oppresses but yeah. until i see um, whoever it is, whether it's a, a homeless person or a young offender or a refugee or my next door neighbor or a white collar worker or like anybody as actually fundamentally made in the image of God, you know, uh, made in the image of the divine um, and yeah. just worthy of dignity um, and in no way less than me. Like that's the kind of, I think that's the the ultimate shift. Mm. I think I'm st- that's a we're all works in progress, yeah. but to see nobody else as less than mm. or even as other, but to look in every face and see um, a mirror of um, what is in us. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, that to me is kind of what it means to see to see Christ um, in the world or whatever language people want to use, but to yeah, yeah to kind of transcend, like again, to, to acknowledge the very real, um divisions and in- inequities within our society mm. but like simultaneously transcending so many of those boundaries you know and actually seeing each person which i mean when when jesus talks about loving an enemy like that is mm. that is what that means i think um yeah. to see to see humanity where we have dehumanized mm. absolutely it's that uh, ability to see someone's innate sense of worth without knowing a single thing about them, regardless of, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's not seeing, I guess, those things to sort of highlight the separateness um, yeah. and the differences. You talked a little bit about um, the fact that you're, I like to use, I know the hot topic word is deconstruction. It's like, Hashtag deconstruction. I do it myself on my on my social media as well. Um, but it's never it's never really been a term that I've like connected with too much. Um, I tend to like the word detangling a little bit more because I just feel like it's just been a little bit more of um I tend to use the imagery of um like when you pull out Christmas lights and you're trying to to work out what lights blown and and how that's impacting all of the other lights and once you detangle it you've got a much fuller picture and things like that um but you sort of you know alluded to it giving more of an expansive sense of faith and sense of spirituality um the reality i guess is that that's not everybody's experience Mm. what was different for you that it created expansion not narrowness Mm. it's a good question i think the few things that like played a role in it i mean i think like fundamentally i think like i said at the beginning like my experience of of church and I, i recognize this as privilege and and maybe luck to some extent, but my experience of church throughout my life has been of a largely safe, mm. loving um, community that cared for me. And yeah. right, right through when I was a teenager, um, you know, I always had people that were a bit older than me that were really encouraging, that um, that really did affirm who I was. And again, regardless of beliefs, like yeah. you look back and you can say how a person made you feel. Mm. And I felt seen and heard and valued and 
they gave me the microphone when I had really immature and dumb stuff to say. And they, they gave it to me again after I said that stuff. Yeah. And so I think that's a big part of it. And I yeah. know that that's not everyone's experience. Mm. Um, and to anyone listening to this who has had an experience other than that, like I just, you know, I, I honor the, the, um, that that may not have been your experience. Yeah. Um, I think another, another thing is that because I was, you know, working in a church and I cared like, again, with the kind of philosophical background, like I did have a deep commitment to finding beliefs that uh, had a sense of integrity for me. And so um, there, there was an aspect of that whole journey that was lonely and difficult because I knew that I was starting to see things in different ways that I w- I knew I was in my mind. I was like, it, it is Christian um, to believe in the reconciliation and, 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 you know, renewal of all things, yeah. all people, the whole thing, the whole cosmos that's Christian. But if I say that from the front in this role at this time, I will get in trouble. Yeah. Um, so I guess a part of my process was learning how to kind of allude to those things in a way that people could see it if they had eyes and ears to see it in my sermons or my conversations, but I also wasn't like shattering people's constructs. Yeah. Weren't ready for it. It was gently, gently done. Gently invitational. Yeah. I just meant that I had to, um, yeah. And like, I, I want to emphasize, I definitely have had plenty of my own kind of dark nights of the soul, of those moments of like, I just don't know, like, again, like holding my screaming baby and just going yeah. like, where is, where is goodness right now? Yeah. Um, Those kind of experiences, definitely part of the journey and and feeling like the kind of the, the hesitancy around letting go of of yeah. hell because there is still that sense of like what if I'm wrong and mm-hmm. you know, Francis Chan says this and he seems very convinced and oh my goodness I've not heard that name for so <laughs> long gosh instant flashback anyway <laughs> yeah. um, you know, hey, what if I'm wrong believe yeah. all, all the things you learn to say like what if I'm just believing what I want to believe because because yeah. my heart's deceiving me so I still had all of those mm. but but at the same time like I was just just kind of opening my heart to um, a view of God that actually feels like it does make sense of my experiences of mm. a lot of people in my life. You know, the way my parents have loved and accepted me, I would never for a second feel like there's anything I could do that would get them to want to chuck me into some sort of forever suffering. Yeah, My parents love me like that. Like surely if there's a creator um, who is good, Mm-hmm. Um, that creator, and if that creator is love, then that love ought to be at least as um, as welcoming and embracing as the love of my parents. Yeah. So I think it actually made sense of a lot of just what is intuitive, um, particularly, again, if you've had good, secure attachment and positive relationships. And again, acknowledge that's not everyone's experience. But for me, like I, I think I was primed to maintain belief in a good God because I've had good, secure safe relationships in my life. I know that's huge. Yeah. Um, And I suppose the other thing is just like, yeah, that access to information. Mm. I was able to read books by Pete Enns and um, Rachel Held Evans and Rob Bell. And, you know, I was um, listening to all the podcasts and like, um, yeah, so I felt 
guided into a wider belief by others who had walked the path beforehand and realizing that actually a lot of that is like being part of the tradition for yeah. thousands of years. In fact, um, the, the faith of the kind of early church um, before the church got entangled with empire, um, mm. it, it was, it would be almost unrecognizable compared to what a lot of modern evangelical Christianity is built on. Yeah. It was no um no emphasis on hell in in that. There was um there was uh no atonement theory in the early days that had anything to do with God like somehow um butchering his son because you know somebody had to bleed and um that kind of covers you and like that just actually wasn't that's not there in the early days of the tradition. That a lot of that got inserted. Uh, later on i mean our our images of hell come straight from like dante's inferno and kind of medieval mm. uh, you know paintings on on walls to keep the peasants in line so yeah um there are some thoughts sparked by that <laughs> <laughs> um i'm wondering i guess how you know because i it is you know, I still see, I still have friends who are very deeply ingrained in, I guess, a traditional church system, a church environment, uh, traditional faith of Christianity. And, you know, you sort of hear things from them around, you know, people who have um, progressive faith or progressive theology and, and that terminology. And so, I guess I'm sort of going, how does your spirituality and sense of faith reckon with some of the things that are happening, particularly in Australia, around, um, you know, how the church is using its privilege to discriminate and to cause harm? How do you reconcile those things? Mm. Big well, question, sorry. Yeah. Big no. question for, you know, 8.20 on a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, a, a, like, a small part of the answer to that is that I reached a point within myself where I had a strong sense that um, the people that I wanted to be with mm. in terms of, um, you know, not, like... I know that all, all the language is loaded and difficult, but in, in any part of me that feels like a pastor, yeah, um, like a shepherd or whatever, I really had this sense that I I, you know, there was a mismatch between the people I was with on a on a Sunday preaching a sermon to mm. and the people that my heart felt um more like of a lean towards. And many of those people were my friends who had left church after the same-sex marriage plebiscite revealed such an ugly picture of Christianity. Yeah. Um, it, you know, many of my friends leaving church because they felt that, yeah, you know, an honest question about the goodness of God who would send people to hell is just not a question you can ask mm. um, in, in a Sunday service environment. Um, so I suppose part of the answer for me was, uh, like a, the question, like, could we, um, try to create, uh, an environment 
where those things would be okay, mm. where all people would be welcomed, um, where those people that have been excluded would actually be actively told, um, you know, we, we're not just going to tolerate you, like we yeah. celebrate you. Um, we are we are incomplete without you. Um, we have been missing your voices and your perspectives. Um, yeah, and so um, we started a community out of that church and again like with like actually with good relationship with that church and maybe like somewhat naively still maybe people would see it as this but like my sense always was and to some extent still is that I could create like a a kind of a two-way path where we could kind of extend out of that space into somewhere that's a bit more inclusive and um, just etc but that we could also maybe uh, maintain that relationship so that hopefully the the where we're coming from would actually would actually come to see um oh um you know there's what they're doing is not actually that it's not that it's, it's kind of just <laughs> a basic decency yeah uh, you know so there's all these questions around how much you try and change something from within or how much you try and just kind of completely leave and yeah you know, cut all those ties and I've probably largely over time lent towards trying to stay, you know, as someone who can see, um, you know, the good in uh, like across the aisle type thing. I've felt in the last couple of years, probably more that there are spaces where it's important for me um, to uh, just like, yeah, move on from because my energy there is no longer constructive. Yeah, and um, kind of just let them, let them go down their own spiraling vortex into whatever is left. Um, I think a lot of that stuff. I mean, it's tricky because I think a lot of those expressions, and as we talk about like the church in Australia right now, like I think a lot of, a lot of expressions of Christianity are like writhing in the pains of death, mm. and it'd be great to just allow them to die. <laughs> yeah same time while that happens there is like a um a strong resolve from some people to like do everything they can to like there's the doubling down and all costs. down the hatches and yeah you know, so I, I like i do think that there are forms of christianity that that will die because historically mm. it, it's you know again, the faith that people have these days, like the toxic versions of faith people have these days are, are different to the toxic versions of faith yeah. people had a few hundred years ago. So these ones will die. Mm. Beautiful things will emerge. New toxicity <laughs> will emerge. Um, but I suppose I find, and and part of the podcast I create, you know, it has reminded me um, that like if you look for it, mm. there are just so many examples of people um, living out something very beautiful, yeah, very good, and they're not necessarily making headlines, and they're not necessarily trying to grow their mega anything, yeah. Uh, but they are just kind of the people I try to bring to mind as like my reference points. And I talk to some of my friends sometimes around, you know, it's really important. Like when you think about a group of people that you are inclined to feel um, you, you want to other them, mm. um, you probably bring to mind 
the most negative examples you can think of when it comes to that group. It's a natural thing that we do. It's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. You have some say in who your reference points are Mm. if you're conscious about it. And so even take a group that you, like I struggle with conservative Christianity, but I try to make my reference point the people in that space who I do have admiration and warm relationships with. Yeah. So that when I talk about that group, I'm trying to bring to those people to mind as mm. my reference point. There are there are absolute dickheads out there. Yeah. But I'm gonna, you know, try mm. um, to think of the people that I know are, are good and well-meaning and people of integrity within the belief system that they are currently in and committed to. And that yeah. may never change. And you can apply that again, like whatever your politics, whatever your kind of ideology, whatever group of people offends you. Yeah. Use better reference points than, you know, the worst expressions of that. Yeah. Um, and I think that helps me to maintain some hope in, mm. I see a lot of beauty um, in terms of what Christian spirituality can look like and kind of beautiful reclamations of kind of ancient and mm. progressive. Like I think that, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the people I look up to, their faith is both ancient and very forward leaning. and. Yeah. So, yeah, I suppose it depends on what you look at. And there's lots of things that can get me very discouraged and make me feel like let's, uh, yeah, let's just move on from the whole thing. But then yeah. I try to, you know, put my eyes on some people that are, and and often those are my LGBTQI plus Christian friends who, um, you know, I kind of look at and think you are a model. Like when people think about Christianity, why don't they think about you? Yeah. Or uh, other friends who, again, they're they're like the marginalized or like edge voices, but it's like, whoa, like if if people looking at this as the model, Mm. they would not have negative things to say because this person is gentle and kind and compassionate and fierce in all the right ways. Um, So why don't those people get to be part of defining what it means? Yeah. I... I don't think I've ever heard it referred to as a reference point, but I love that. I often will tell my clients, let's shift the goalposts. And it's a similar sort of notion, but I love that I also, um, I think as most people who have sort of come out of any sort of faith shift, whether you have, you know, left religion, Christianity, or somewhere in between, um, is conservative Christians do tend to grind your gears and you do tend to think about, you know, the the people who make the headlines or the people who you see coming up in your as you doom scrolling on social media and things like that. But, um, you know, there are some in- incredibly beautiful and kind conservative Christians who I used to go to church with who would not hurt a fly if they, you know, came across it. And so I I love that notion because it is really easy um, when you have been hurt by the church and by people and by God that to sit in the anger and to just stew in it. And, you know, we know that anger is a very valid and a very real and present emotion, but the longer we sit in it, the more it tends to just seep out into other areas. And um, 
And I think, you know, reframing that, you know, who is my reference point for these groups of people? And I think the closer to home those reference points are, the more compassion and and empathy and, and gentleness we can have towards just people and just, you know, the human yeah. humanity. Um, yeah, you've got to separate, like, it is important mm. to be to be angry and absolutely to and, and to like at the systems level yeah and at the ideology level yeah and like if an idea is harmful mm. go to town on it it's like, harmful I'm not, I'm not yeah saying, i'm not saying think about a kind person so that you can let go of your mm. critique of yeah. what is harmful in that space and at, like i want to be able to be scrutinized in the same way. I want people to be able to say, well, Will's a lovely guy, but Will, like you are still a participant in mm. and a beneficiary of um, systems that harm. Like we, no one gets out of, of yeah. doing that. But I guess it's just that, you know, um, rehumanize people, mm. but be, be ruthless in yeah. your, um, you know, kind of dismantling of your disentangling of mm. um, systems. And often I think I'm realizing that, you know, in, in our deconstructing or detangling of things like Christianity, we don't often go far enough to yeah. doing that with capitalism or to doing that with neoliberalism or to doing yeah. that with what it means to be Australian or, you know, there are so many other kind of cultural Mm. Um, narratives that we need to deconstruct with the same level of um, ferocity yeah. that um, we've often done with our religious stories. And I think it's like religion and spirituality is so all-encompassing that it's mm. natural to look at that and blame it or, you know, kind of assign to it all of your ways of being and thinking. But if you actually zoom the lens out, you might go, oh, my church experience was actually largely characterized by being within a capitalist experience mm. or, you know, and maybe, maybe you're actually not zooming out far enough in, in yeah. your critique. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I am reading a incredible book that most people would probably know. It's called women don't are you pretty by Florence given. And it, she very much talks about, um, that sort of dismantling of of beliefs and and systems in society and you know oppression and patriarchy and what mm. it means to be feminine and what it means to be masculine and all of those big sort of overarching questions that tend to dictate pretty much everything in society and the way that it runs and it's structured and exploring that is going to be uncomfortable. It requires, you know, yeah. growth demands discomfort. And so um, I think, you know, anger is very real and very, and there have, you know, you have your, I call them rage days where I just like feel angry at the systems in the world <laughs> and, yeah. you you know, and those days are needed because it keeps us, well, it keeps me in a stance of, questioning and curiosity and never resting on my laurels the way life is. And so I think anger gives us motivation to see things differently, to question systems and to not just take them for what they are. We don't just because they're in place doesn't mean we have to accept them and and just roll with the punches, um, which is a very Australian mentality, I think anyway. <laughs> um 
I am ending all of these episodes by asking everybody, what would you say to somebody who is in the depths of that faith shift themselves, who is just experiencing all of the encompassing emotions that come along with that? What would you say to that person? I think about this sort of thing quite a lot mm. and am trying to, I guess, create work that that is, you know, a variety of answers to that question. Um, yeah. uh, and I'm actually working at the moment as part of our kind of spiritual misfits um, stuff, working on some like a, a kind of like survival guide for people oh, nice. in the depth of it. So uh, maybe I'll let you know when, when yeah. that's ready and if there are people that are engaged with this that want to know about that, you can chuck out a link or something. But absolutely, um, one of the things I think is really important is um just to to like adjust your expectations around the pace and this is what i often need to hear in all aspects of life but i think part of our maybe our generation maybe our our moment in time as well like we just want things quick yeah quick and snappy and, <laughs> and i think part of the part of the wisdom like mm-hmm. i like to think of christianity as you know, at its best, it's a wisdom tradition. And um, the, the, you know, the Hebrew scriptures are full of like these ancient writings in wisdom. Mm. And I think part of the wisdom tradition is just the understanding that like it takes, it takes time and mm. it's okay to take time. If something feels really pressing right now, if something feels really urgent um, if something feels really like you need to make some, like if something feels like an ultimatum to you, which again is familiar in some of those spaces, we've been handed ultimatums, yeah. you know, decide, give your life right now, or you could be <laughs> at risk of, you know, eternal rah, rah, rah. Yeah. Actually, maybe there is no ultimatum. Mm. Maybe there's a continuum and all you have to do is just, it, you can pause if you want. You can pause, you can take a breath, you can sit on the side of the road for a while, Mm. but when you're ready, you can just incrementally keep making your way forward, whatever that looks like for you. I'm not going to tell you what your destination is, only you can work that out, Yeah, but it's actually not a race or a rush and um, it's okay to just go gently and slowly. Yeah probably better. I mean, my, uh, my counselor from many years, well, uh, while I was doing all of this, I didn't mention it, but a, a big thing that did help me was that I was seeing, um, you know, seeing a counselor regularly and thanks, um, thanks for the nice little therapy plug. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but he, he said to me, slow is fast. Yeah. Go fast. You have to go back again. Mm. So, so go slow. And, um, yeah, that's actually, that's actually the way to make progress. Mm. It is a common statement that comes out of my mouth. Most sessions is it's not going to change overnight and it shouldn't, it's not expected to change overnight because anything that changes overnight doesn't have a whole lot of depth to it. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's okay for things to take time. Um, but I love that it's um, it's not an ultimatum, but a continuum. I love that. Anybody would think you're a poet, Will. <laughs> <laughs> nice little like plug. Poetry helps too. Will, yeah, Will's great with words. <laughs> so, um, 
but yeah, I love that. I think it's, you know, there's a lot of cliches that gets thrown around, I think, for people who are in the depths of it. But I think um, for me, what I needed was to hear things from real people who had experienced it and who had been through it and who were not just telling me what it was going to be like based off a, a book or a textbook or something like that. So um, I think it just hits different for people when it's something that somebody has come to from their own experience of learning as opposed to from their um, academic experience, so to speak. It's that differing perspective, differing lens. So thanks for joining me. My pleasure. I love chatting with people. I'm so glad I made a career out of it. <laughs> um, and, you know, you mentioned a few times um, about spiritual misfits. Take a look, head to websites, social media, because I think the more inclusive communities um, for people who are wanting to explore what uh, an authentic sense of spirituality and faith looks like. Um, these are the spaces that are needed. Um, so, yeah, I think it's wonderful work. Thank you. And thank you for being another voice in this space and creating more more room for people to know that um, they're okay and it's all okay. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, there isn't a lot of language around a lot of this for some people, particularly in Australia. And so I think um, the more language people have to express how they're feeling and what's going on for them internally, um, their, like their internal landscape, um, the more depth of healing that comes. So I think, mm. yeah, it's wonderful. Thanks, Will. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Surface. Until next time, take care, stay true to who you are, and remember, your voice and your story matters always.